Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. All right, the kids are about halfway through their summer break. And for parents, it is a struggle to keep those little beloved monsters busy and entertained. Even with summer camps and days at the pool, it can be really easy to supplement that activity time with hours spent on iPads and video games and watching TV. Our relationship with screens is one us humans have struggled with for years. On one hand, the digital world provides easy access to news and to connection. It's even a method of coping. Who doesn't like to unwind with a movie at the end of a long day or swap funny memes with your friends? But when it comes to children, the concerns sink in. That's why some people are trying anti-dopamine parenting. You know dopamine, that feel-good chemical that your brain releases. You get a shot of dopamine when you get a reward or maybe have some comfort food. But did you know that screen time has the same effect? And our kids, they're becoming addicted to that dopamine release. So how can we tell if our kids' screen time habits are casual or if they're just dangerously addictive? Joining us now to discuss is Devorah Heitner. She's the author of ScreenWise, Helping Kids Thrive and Survive in Their Digital World. Welcome back, Devorah. Thank you. Also with us is Dr. Khaled Afzal. He's an assistant professor of child and adolescent psychiatry at the University of Chicago. Dr. Afzal, welcome. I'm glad to be here. I'm going to start with you, Devorah. Um, I'm going to preface uh, the convo with, you know, screens, social media, and tech. They're not all bad, right? Absolutely. There can be wonderful sources of family connection. You can enjoy screen time with your kids. Yeah. You've got a 14-year-old. What does screen time look like in your house? So Discord and games are the primary use of screen time for my kids' solo or peer-based screen time. And that's, that's the primary interest. And then some YouTube. And then as family screen time, we enjoy some shows together. We just started Netflix. Uh, or sorry, we just started watching Battlestar Galactica. Oh, nice. So, and it actually wasn't streaming anymore. We, were, we, we had to go to the library and get that one. And we're so excited to have a good family show again because we were kind of in between shows for a while. And we noticed that when we have a family show, we do spend more time together in the evenings. And for sure, we also like board games and mm -hmm. taking walks and other unplugged things. But it's great to have a show, especially with a teenager, because it gives us something to talk oh, about, yeah. something to look forward to. Yeah, my girls and I do the same thing. We have certain shows that we just pile in front of the TV and watch. And it, it might be once or twice a week, but we sort of keep it, try to keep it to a, to a minimum, at least the together time. Uh, what about you, doctor? You've got children. I have three children. Yes. But they are much, much older now. They're in college. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but the thing is that the screen time is still, I kind of monitor, you know, specifically when it's the family time. I don't want them to be on their... Put that phone down. Exactly. <laughs> no. Oh, I know. So, so I think that that is crucial for us. And we also have kind of family screen time, like where I like watching movies and shows. Um, but I think the the screen time is a little bit different with, with, with kind of all young adults. Yeah, for sure. Well, we started out, Devorah, by saying that it, it, it's not all bad, right? Some, some people are listening to us and they're going to immediately say, listen, this is the world that we live in right now, right? Leave me alone and leave my screens alone, <laughs> right? So there are a lot of benefits to using them, and I'd love for you to sort of remind us of what those are. Well, kids are building community in these spaces. They're learning how to interact and do research. My kid has been able to find really fascinating things doing research online. But we also want to make sure that they're, you know, using media literacy skills, making sure that the things they find online are true, especially if they're about, you know, current events. 
But there, there's a lot that's good about the skills. I do think today's Minecrafters are going to be tomorrow's engineers as well. And so there's a lot of spatial skills, reasoning skills, collaboration skills that are happening, I think, especially in gaming spaces. Surely some of our kids' TikTok and YouTube skills will also bring out their mm -hmm. dancing and music and other things. So I, th I think it's worth really paying attention to what interests your kid on a screen to see if you can also support those interests in other ways. When I found out my kid was into war and strategy games, you know, we got risk and we started reading about current events and learned more about those things. So you can also lean into if your kid's watching cooking shows, you know, could they actually learn to cook and bake? These are skills that will benefit you greatly both now and in the future when your kid is the only one on their college dorm floor who knows how to do more than boil water. Yeah. Well, you know, there's the flip side. We got to talk about that, right? Because kids get on screens and some of them don't want to let go, like literally, right? And, and adults, we know that we are also guilty uh, of the same thing, but it's so much worse now because, I, I mean, we've always had video games, but I don't know that many of us who came up in the 80s and 90s that we, we use it as much of a crutch as the kids do today. So what what changed? Well, the, the design is incredibly good, right? The touch screen is very accessible even to a preschooler. You don't need to read, you don't need to keyboard. So a lot of the barriers to access for younger kids are absolutely gone. And you see little kids will like swipe a magazine thinking it's gonna be like an iPad. And then we're using it all the time. So they get it, they think it's cool because mommy and daddy are doing it. If you leave a phone in another room, your toddler will bring it to you because they know how attached you are to that thing. Right. So I, th I think it's really important to look at our own behaviors and, you know, could you go for a walk around your block? Could you go for a bike ride without your phone? Or do you feel really insecure leaving without it? Then you shouldn't be surprised if your teenager, for whom their social world is as, as important as it's ever going to be developmentally, you know, teenagers really, really live for their friends. Of course, their phone is going to be important to them. That's so true. Well, Dr. Afzala, I want to dig into something that I mentioned in the intro, right? And that's the connection between screens and dopamine. Uh, a person, an adult or a kid, they, they pull up a screen, they scroll through social media, they watch a video on YouTube maybe, they're getting a shot of dopamine mm -hmm. at the same time. Why is that? What's, what's happening in our brains? Yeah, that's a really great question. And dopamine is a, is a reward neurotransmitter or reward kind of hormone. So that is something which, which we've, that's the feel-good part. That, that's why it is called kind of a feel-good hormone. So that's the thing that keeps us engaged and redoing the same thing to get the same reward, and that can easily lead to the addiction cycle. That's why, you know, you already mentioned that is it leading to addiction like other mm -hmm. addictions? So is it the screen that's addictive or the, the thing that they're connecting with on the screen? Both. Ugh. Both. Double whammy. Yeah, I know. So that's why, you know, one of the treatments is to take the screens away, to take that kind of stimulus away. So there are both things. So we're getting these boosts of dopamine. So what then? Is, is that a, a good thing or a bad thing? Mm -hmm. That's a really good question. It could be a good thing, like Devorah said, that when it is used to, to, to create that content, which is helpful for our future, for our current situations, like mm -hmm. like the, those strategy games, connecting. I think right now, uh, social media screen time is the lifeline of, of our kids and adolescents and somewhat adults. And I think that concept is crucially important, that lifeline. The word lifeline is I know, kind of frightening. I know, because they're... For me. I know. There have been studies that uh, taking phones away has been linked with suicidal ideation and 
actual attempts because they feel that they are like totally isolated. The connection to the world is gone. So that's why I call it as, as lifeline. And dopamine is the, is the reward. That's the, that's the thing that we get after we are there. Like that's why it, when we are, we are doing homework um, on the screen, even if we get the right answer, we don't get the same reward because our homework assignments are not set in a way our, our gamers do because they are providing that opportunity where we seek that reward over and over again, and that leads to addiction, I likely. See. So it sounds like at a neurological level, uh, you're, you're becoming wired to associate feeling good and, and rewards and desire with the screen, right? Uh, Emily Churkin is a, a screen time consultant, and she told NPR that she, this is what she tells parents, quote, it's not you versus your child, but rather it's you versus a hijacked neural pathway. It's the dopamine that you're fighting, and that's not a fair fight. Would you agree? I, I, I kind of agree on several levels. Um, one of the things is that when we feel that our child is at fault, it, it leads to relational issues. So when we kind of in, in, in more uh, lingo, like externalize that, blaming dopamine, I think I take the blame away from my kid and that will not affect my relationship. Oh, that is something I have to deal with, not mm. my child. So there are inherent advantages to using that concept. And I, I can I just say, I also think if you look at it like, wow, these apps really want to keep us there. What can we do collectively? Then you're aligning yourself on the same side. Like when I talk to kids about distraction and homework, I say to parents, you don't want to fight and say, I caught you being distracted. You want to say, wow, these devices are very distracting. And a lot of kids are trying to do homework on that Chromebook where there's also something else. It's like trying to do homework at a party. How can we together think about how to defeat distraction? So what you're doing is you're aligning yourself and saying, I'm on your side. I want you to have the fun of maybe watching some TikTok videos, but I also want you to get your sleep and I want you to be able to do other things. Yeah including taking pleasure in things you enjoy, whether it's going outside or playing with Legos or for older kids spending time in person with friends and not just online. And that's where I worry about the dopamine piece. It's like, it's great if you enjoy watching a show, but if you stop enjoying things that you used to like that aren't the screen, that's not so good. And, and also like screens with, with this kind of concept, I think it is important for us to understand from a neurological standpoint that kids have an opportunity to not not have that, you know, when we are in, in reality and we are in a relationship, some relationships are good and sometimes they are not as mm -hmm. good and we are still with them. But with the screen, we have the opportunity to to just slide off to another video game. Turn it off, exactly. move on to something exactly. else. Exactly. So that's also from learning standpoint. It's not a good thing in the longer run. Neurologically, is, is screen addiction similar to a gambling addiction or, or drug addiction? I think it is because it is using the same pathway, unfortunately. So there's a lot, lot of research going on right now. And um, I think in the upcoming editions of International Classification of Diseases and Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, uh, which is our Bible for, for uh for mental health disorders, I think it, it will be included very soon, unfortunately, because it does affect actual areas of the brain, yeah. specifically when when the child is at, at a young age. If you're just tuning in, this is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and we're talking about something that's called anti-dopamine parenting. 
Some of you have likely never heard of this. It's an approach that some people are taking to stop their child's addiction in its tracks, addiction to screens and even to sweets. Our guests are Dr. Khaled Afzal with UChicago Medicine and also Devorah Heitner, who's the author of a forthcoming book that's called Growing Up in Public, Coming of Age in a Digital World. So, Devorah, let's talk about this anti-dopamine parenting part of the conversation. I mean, how do you define it? I think it's important to make sure we're having a balanced life, taking pleasure, again, in other things that are moving more slowly. And when you go right from a video gaming environment or watching something like YouTube or TikTok, your mind is working at a very fast, you're getting a lot of stimulation very quickly. And it can be hard to transition that to that, to like dinner and sitting down and being like, oh, how was your day? And so we need a minute. And so one thing to think about is how do we help kids reground in the body? You know, is it taking a few breaths? Is it running around the block? Is it remembering to go to the bathroom if you've been sitting playing video game for five hours mm-hmm. or eating a snack? Because we tend to forget about our bodies in those moments. And regrounding in the body also helps the mind shift and be ready to engage at a different speed. But realistically, I do think parents want to build in that time of transition. I don't think it's realistic to expect the kid to go right from watching TikTok or playing a video game or something with that intense stimulation to the slower pace of dinner or a leisurely walk. Mm. And we have to recognize that we don't do that either. When you sit down to your work email, it's hard to transition to family time from that. Most of us need to take a breath or, or have some kind of completion activity. So building that into the day and then really thinking about what we are modeling. If we can't put our phones down, if we sleep in bed with our phones, which a lot of people do, that's what we're modeling for our children. As I'm making the guilty face <laughs> as you say that, um, our listener Cherish from Lake Zurich called but uh, couldn't remain on the line. I do want to read her comments, though. Uh, she said, I have three children who are in elementary and middle school. We try to have family shows or have activities to do together, but I feel like they're just waiting to get back on tech. So the waiting to get back to the screens, that's the part that really resonates, I think, because you, you see that all the time in kids. I see that with mine, for sure. Um, getting antsy, they want the iPad if you've taken it back. Is that withdrawal, doctor? Like, How do you keep the kids engaged and not have one eye on the screen at the same time? I think that's a great question. It's a really great question. So I'll handle this question like in two different ways. One, is is it an actual withdrawal? I'm not sure yet, you know. <laughs> so it could be in certain situations, but I think it's it's more like reward-seeking than withdrawal. So They just want to go back to the same kind of dopamine state, so to say, and that's what they're seeking. So um, in another kind of view, I feel that um, I agree with, with Devorah that we need to model because kids monkey see monkey do they they also see how we are handling screen time so i think it's crucially important for for us as adults to show this kind of restraint and restriction and 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 dividing our areas in the in the house even where we can use screen versus not uh, devora let's talk about harm okay uh, what do we know about how screen addiction impacts kids socially or physically? Well, if we see things getting really out of balance, I mean, most of us aren't qualified at home to diagnose our kid with an addiction. And I would push back on using that word, like a kid who would rather play Minecraft or look at TikTok than take out the trash or do homework. That's a preference. That's not an addiction. 
you know, I'm not qualified because I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist to diagnose addiction, but where I'd be worried and say a family needs support is if a kid isn't leaving their room, if a kid isn't going to school, if a kid isn't taking a shower, you know, and, and taking care of themselves, or if a kid is withdrawing from things that used to bring them pleasure and, and connect them to the family and to life beyond the screen, that would concern me very much. Mm-hmm. Or if a kid is looking at content or creating content that suggests self-harm, that suggests eating disorders, you know, looking at what your kid is doing online versus a kid who's very into tech because they really love gaming and they're moderating three gaming forums and it's a huge part of their social life. That kid may need to be pushed into balance, but I wouldn't necessarily call it an addiction if it's yeah. a strong interest, but they still are able to do other things. Well, we have a doctor here who could diagnose something like that. So I'm, I'm curious, how do you know that your kid is addicted or just you know, a casual screen user? It's a really great question. And addiction is, I think it's, it's kind of a really big term and um, I'm a little bit careful in using as well still. Um, some of the ways where we we diagnose somebody with addiction is that they need to avoid the withdrawal. I think that is a definition from addiction. So it's not necessarily, so initially addiction starts with reward seeking. So they go for reward and then they have to they need to do more of the same to get the same reward and then more of the same and more of the same to get the same mm-hmm. so after a while this when they stop doing it they have that intense withdrawal like a physical the the body's response that i need the same thing which could be like physical pain even like the psychological pain mood irritability um sleeplessness headaches headaches absolutely yeah. so all of the, so to avoid that they they need to do so that's the definition of of addiction which when we are talking about kids and and gaming and and social media everybody is not there like devora said they're not like at, at the addiction but there are kids who are and how we diagnose there's a simple way where where i educate all parents which i see I divide into like three categories. One is the biological functioning, sleep and appetite. So if there is a significant disruption of sleep, meaning usually it is because of social media, but it is like really, really, they're not sleeping for like sometimes days in mm-hmm. a row. That is crossing the that kind of. They're not eating. I have like individuals who don't go out to eat. They are just drinking whatever just to have like fluid intake or energy drink to be in front of the screen that sounds like an addiction <laughs> exactly yeah. so so that is the biological piece second piece is like social relationships like even they were was saying that how how uh, they are with 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 their own peers are mm-hmm. they avoiding them because of the screen their relationship with with the family how how it is mm-hmm. and the third is their functioning and they're functioning their job is school and extracurriculars. So if are the grades slipping? Exactly. Yeah. Grades are slipping, they're not doing their homeworks. And I know parents right now are like check, check, check <laughs> of know. all those three. Let's let's jump to the phones. We've got a few folks waiting here. First up is Kavita in Carol Stream. Hey Kavita, welcome to the show. Yeah, hi, how are you? Doing well. Thanks for calling. What did, what does screen time look like in your house? Well, I have adult children, so they kind of use the screen for a lot of good and bad stuff, which is, like, great. I don't uh, – when they were younger, we had, like, a lot of rules. But uh, right now they're on their own, living on their own. But I'm a teacher, 
and I always am concerned about screen time for myself, where I sometimes feel I don't have self-control a lot. But like as teachers, we are supposed to have phones in the classroom. Okay, we all carry phones all the time because that's security purposes with everything that's happening in schools these days. But I think like every time I'm flipping out a phone from my pocket to check my messages, I'm kind of sending wrong signals too to my students. Mm. I know I'm using it for a good reason, but I don't know what is the solution to this, but I constantly worry about it. When I'm in a classroom, I pull up my phone. I know my admin sends me messages. I know we have sub shortages. We get a lot of messages and we have meetings. Yeah. A lot of things that happen in a school. But like if the students are watching me, elementary level students, are, I'm on the phone like, what am yeah. I saying? What kind you, of you feel like you're not practicing what you preach? It sounds like Kavita. Yeah, good, good question there. What, what are your thoughts on that, Devora? A lot of schools are rethinking their phone policies. Certainly, high schools where most kids are bringing their own phones every day are rethinking: Is this working out? How are how is study hall going? Are people wasting their time? You know, just kind of scrolling and not getting things done. So I think it it is worth thinking about what what we're doing, what we're showing our students, and if you can put it away and, and look at it, you know, at lunch or at times when your students aren't there, that might be good. Or one thing we can do, both parents and teachers can do, is explain what we're doing. Oh, I just got a note from the principal that says we have a visitor coming, or I just got a note from really saying, and parents can do this too, oh, I'm texting with grandma. So when you say it's time to stop gaming and have dinner, your kids can't say, oh, but you're playing with words with friends. If you're saying, no, actually, I'm texting with somebody's caregiver, or I'm texting the drugstore about a prescription. Just like this is a necessary conversation right now. Our parents heard our, 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 we heard our parents on the phone and we learned a lot about social stuff from hearing our parents on the phone. So if we can translate even a little bit of what we're doing with our communication, not just thumbing it out in front of kids, that will actually help them learn some of our adult communication skills and even the decisions that are going into, is this a message that can go out by text or is this an in-person conversation, anything like that. Yeah. Let's hear now from Emily in Logan Square. Uh, hi, Sasha. Um, I'm Emily. I'm actually a third-year medical student at the University um, of Illinois at Chicago, and I'm really interested in in addiction medicine and the science of addiction. So when I heard this conversation, um, it really piqued my interest. Um, something that I that I wanted to bring up, and I think this has been touched upon in the last couple of minutes. Um, the previous caller made this really good point, um, and so did the the doctors. You know, modeling the right behavior is really hard. And I think that there are many adults who are as addicted or even more, I guess, addicted or dependent um, than, than children. So it's hard to model the correct hmm. behavior um, if, if, if you, you yourself are experiencing, quote unquote, like withdrawals or you're unable to look away from your phone. Um, but I also want to speak to what one of the physicians just said about the benefits of uh, screen time. I, I don't have children myself, but I have a two-year-old niece. And uh, I, at least once a week, I get to see her um, on FaceTime, even though she lives across the country. So I know it, it's not all bad, but we definitely have a lot of work to do with regards to monitor, monitoring these yeah. things for children and for sure. making sure that they're, that they're being used in a in a good way, you know. Great points, Emily. Thank you so much for calling. You're nodding, yeah. <laughs> doctor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah.
Because I think um, this is a great point, Emily. Thank you for bringing bringing that up. I think both of us, uh, Deborah and I, have talked about modeling. How we can do it is by educating parents. I think most of the parents still don't know, and they. I think we need to educate way more than we have. And I appreciate, Deborah, what you have been doing in schools. Um, and I do in my part in my clinics, but mm-hmm. I think we need to, I, I appreciate, Sasha, you, what you are doing with this forum, because I think that this is the way we, are, we, we need to educate parents about the Yeah, and I appreciate you because you're highlighting all of the things I'm doing wrong. (laughs) I'm I'm quietly (laughs) listening to these callers and thinking, guilty, so guilty. I've been told by my teenagers, like, put your phone down. You're looking to, and I'm like, oh, it's it's a work email. I try to do what Devorah said. I try to talk them through what I'm doing. Doesn't work when they're 15 and 16. Um, Here's a tip that we got from uh, Susan Lynn. She's the author of Who's Raising the Kids? Big Tech, Big Business, and the Lives of Children. This is what she had to say when she was on Reset a few months ago about what parents can do. They can make sure that meals are screen-free or, you know, find at least one night a week where nobody's on screens. I mean, parents can try to limit their own screen time, the amount that they're on their phones, for instance. I mean, I'm not talking about work. I'm talking about scrolling through social media. Right. So she mimics a lot of what we, we just said. Uh, tell us, Devorah, though, some of the different ways that, that parents can practice this so-called anti-dopamine parenting, because, I mean, it's more than just what we've been talking about, which is limiting screen time, right? It's, it's totally redirecting where they're getting these dopamine boosts from. Well, we want to help them become aware of how to self-regulate around the content that they're consuming and sharing and so helping them notice, how do, how do you feel after you use Snapchat? How do you feel when you're on YouTube? How do you feel on the Discord? And you're not going to ask that every five minutes, but just getting kids to kind of notice what is your mood before, during, and after, and how can you help yourself make transitions? And having a schedule, especially in the summer when things are so open, for many families, having a schedule so kids know when they're going to get that uninterrupted time, actually. I mean, it might sound like, you know, like that's not anti-dopamine, mm-hmm. but if kids know like, hey, I'm going to have a couple hours on the weekend to maybe really dive into my game and get to the next level and be with my friends. But if you only have 20 minutes, a conversation we've had in my house is if you only have 20 minutes, is this actually going to be satisfying for 20 minutes? Do you want to even get on right now? Or is it just going to make us all have a fight and avoiding conflict or, you know, reducing conflict? I have a teenager, so we don't avoid conflict, but right. we would like to reduce conflict. Mm-hmm. And that's important. And, and I think because you know, what you were saying, doctor, about addiction is is so important to recognize that we don't have to rise to that threshold to have a problem, that there are plenty of families that have a lot of conflict over screen time or a kid who's staying up late one or two nights a week maybe doesn't rise to the, you know, definition of addiction. But that's still maybe a kid who maybe we could take their phone away at night and solve the problem for them, especially if they're a middle schooler. Maybe they're not ready to regulate, self-regulate completely around having the connected device in their room at night. So anti-dopamine parenting is also talking about your own mood, like just talk with your kids about, hey, when I get off social media, sometimes I feel kind of bummed out or all this scrolling isn't bringing me the joy I want. What would bring me a joy? Maybe going for a run or, mm-hmm. you know, preparing a, a meal or, um, you know, snuggling with the dog would bring me some joy. And even just verbalizing that thought process for yourself. That's so great. I mean, doctor, you started out by telling us about your, your kids are, you know, the college age <laughs> at this time. But I'm curious if, if the the dopamine addiction, whether it's from screens or even junk food, it could be part of this conversation too. Is it more of a concern the younger the kid is? 
then? That's a really good question. I think as we grow older, the effect on, because the, the neurological pathways by mid-20s are, are reasonably formed and by late-20s are almost formed, although they continue to, to kind of refresh throughout our lives, you know. Uh, but younger the age, definitely. There was a study recently published from uh, age group three to five years old. Yeah. And they noted that oh, with screen times, which was not that much, like a few hours a, a day, which is not, not that much at all, um, they found that there were like major areas in the brain that affected their um, attention, their uh, even cognition, memory, um, so all of those things which these important areas are forming in this form, this formative age group are, are going to be affected. Yeah. The younger, the more affected. Let's squeeze in one more caller. Here's Kathy from Prospect Heights. Hey, Kathy. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. I'm a teacher and in an elementary school building. And what I've noticed is as all of our students have gone to one-to-one devices, it seems like the whole school day, they're on devices. And even during reading, like independent reading time, kids are reading on their devices, you know, instead of holding the book. And so this concerns me because if they're on the device all day at school, then they go home and they're on the device all day. Like, when are they off their devices? Yeah, very good point, Kathy. I'm thinking of the Chromebooks that I know are in my Mm -hmm. kids' bags right now all day long, and, of course, as well as the cell phones. So we're just about out of time, but just final advice here, uh, Dr. Afzal. What Um, should parents take away from this conversation? So I think that we need to just educate them about the content um, because we can't avoid Chromebooks, frankly speaking. I think that's that's the way. We we need to educate uh, parents about screen times. We need to educate about content. And then we need to educate parents about monitoring when they see that it is crossing the norm and, and becoming a problem Keep and seeking an help. Exactly. That's Dr. Khaled Afzal, who's an assistant professor of child and adolescent psychiatry at the U Chicago Medicine. And we've also been talking with Devorah Heitner. She's the author of ScreenWise, Helping Kids Thrive and Survive in Their Digital World, and also a forthcoming book that's called Growing Up in Public, Coming of Age in a Digital World. It's coming out in September. Devorah and Dr. Afzal, thank you so much. Thank you. It's a pleasure.